days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Grace Community Church downtown. I'm Steve Shepherdly, one of the pastors at Grace Community Church. Uh, welcome back to service downtown. Uh, good to see everyone uh, in person uh, for a full-on service. Hope you all are doing well and staying warm in the middle of uh, the heat wave that we're having this weekend. Um, so uh, we're going to continue in our sermon series on Hebrews. We've been in this sermon series for a while now, and we'll continue on. One quick thing uh, we wanted to let you all know about um, there are some service changes coming. These are largely service changes to the morning services, but uh, since some of you will occasionally watch sermon online, we wanted to let you know about that. So the last Sunday in February, that's February 28th, uh, there's going to be a change. We'll continue to have our 8 a.m. in-person service, and we'll continue to have a, a second service in person in North Liberty, but that will shift from 10 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. So if you happen to go to a morning service, beware that those are the in-person times in North Liberty. But also the morning sermon has been posted at 10 a.m. and that will shift to 9.45 a.m. So if you happen to need a week where you're watching the sermon online, that's when that will happen. Uh, If you have questions, let us know, but that's a change coming up on February 28th. So we are, again, like I said, doing our sermon series on the book of Hebrews. And tonight we're going to look at Hebrews 5, verses 7 through 10 that Bacala just read for us. And we're going to talk about hope and potential, hope and potential. Uh, Can you remember a time in your life when somebody identified potential in you and it made you hopeful? Somebody saw some raw potential in you and you got excited? I can think of times in my life when uh, somebody saw potential in me and I got excited about it. I remember being on the ball field. I had gravitated to third base and the third base was really fun. You had to respond quickly. The ball usually came at you pretty quickly. And so that was its own challenge. But it's a long distance between third and first. And so you had to have a good arm and you had to really get the ball across the field uh, in order to catch a runner. And I also felt like that was a challenge. And I loved trying to get the ball over to first as quickly as I could. And I remember one summer, my coach came to me and he said, Steve, you've got a pretty good arm, which helps you play third base. But have you considered co- like pitching? Have you thought about pitching? And I thought, he sees potential in me to be a pitcher. And all of a sudden, I got excited. I was thinking of all of these opportunities to maybe practice and play more or maybe play high school, play for my high school team. Um, And so that little window of potential that my coach saw in me raised hope uh, for me. And sometimes we have hope in our earning potential. How much can I make in my life if I have this particular career track gives us hope. We we think about a career potential. What kind of uh, achievements can I have in life if I pursue this particular career? And Uh, What kind of success can I have? There's all kinds of hope that can come up when we have potential. And some of you are like, I have hope that potentially this sermon will end in time for me to see the game when it starts. I'm aware of that connection between hope and potential tonight, and I'm going to try and honor that. Uh, So, because I love you all dearly. Um, But the trouble is when we place a lot of our hope in our potential, those hopes can be dashed. 
It's hard to sometimes reach our potential. There are challenges, difficulties, things that make it hard to reach our potential. And if your highest and ultimate hope is in your potential, and those challenges make it impossible for you to reach that potential, your hopes are dashed. Sometimes you achieve your potential, and your hopes are dashed because you're like, I achieved my goal after three, four years of working towards it, and I'm still not satisfied. I thought I would be satisfied once I fulfilled this potential. But I think an even bigger thing is that Uh, The gifts and skills and abilities that God has given us, which is a potential for good, he's given us abilities which he wants us to use for good. Sometimes we use those very same gifts and skills and abilities for potentially bad things, and they become an avenue for bad to come into the world. A personal illustration is I uh, sometimes can be pretty compassionate with my children. Um, I have a pretty uh, good radar for sensing when they're in pain or when they're scared, Uh, And I want to come around them really quickly and kind of protect them. And I hope that's a strength that my children feel like dad cares about them. He's quick to notice when they're hurt. Uh, He's quick to help us when we're afraid. So I hope that's a good thing. But there are times when I get so focused on their fears or their worries or their hurts that I start to hover to protect them from some of those things. And then that, that compassion starts to turn into a bad thing because it drives me to overprotect them and not equip them for the challenges of life, or let them learn from some of their own mistakes, and to be able to develop that, that habit of learning from making mistakes. And so what is in some ways a strength can also come around and bite me in the behind or hurt our children and not help them to grow the way that they need to grow. Or think of it corporately as people. Uh, how many of you find the internet helpful at some level and would say, I'm glad to have the internet at some level? If you're doing a research paper, man, you can get information quickly online. How many of you like the fact that you don't have to trudge down to the library in sub-zero temperatures to look up an article or a publication (laughs) uh, using the old card catalog? Um, It's really helpful. The internet can be very helpful. It also helps us stay connected. But that same tool that we've made for good also provides, provides opportunity for bad. That same tool has also led to a host of different kinds of addictions, whether that's being addicted to social media or other things online, gambling and other things online. It provides opportunity for bad. People have had their identity stolen online. That same tool, which has a potential for good, can also become potential for bad. And in a world where we all struggle with sin, the gifts and abilities that God has given us, which should be potential for good, sin robs the goodness of that potential sometimes and turns that potential into potential for bad, and in extreme cases, potential for evil. So if we put our hope in our potential, if we put our highest hope in our own potential, it'll be thwarted. It'll be short-lived hope. The good news is that Hebrews 5 tells us, Hebrews 5 tells us that Jesus has fulfilled a potential that no human ever could. And because Jesus has fulfilled a potential that no one ever could, there is an enduring and a lasting hope that's available for you and for me. So let's remember the flow of Hebrews as we jump in tonight. The author of Hebrews is writing to people who are Christians, but they had formerly been Jewish. Now they are Jewish Christians. And at some point after placing their faith in Jesus, this particular community started to experience pressure from some Jewish voices. Some Jewish people were really pressuring them, and there was even some persecution going on, trying to pressure them back into Judaism. The author of Hebrews wants to give them reason after reason after reason to hold fast to Jesus and not to abandon faith in him and turn back to Judaism. He wants to tell them and remind them, uh, Judaism is good. It's from God. God is the one who gave the world Judaism. (laughs) God is the one who gave the world the Old Testament. 
And yet that same Old Testament that God gave points forward to Jesus. It foreshadows Jesus. And so that Old Testament and that Jewish faith, it finds its fullest satisfaction in Jesus. So the author is trying to say, don't abandon your faith in Jesus because Jesus is the full flowering of Judaism. And if you abandon your faith in Jesus, you're going to lose out on all the promises, all the hope that Jesus offers. Hold close to your faith in Jesus. Hold fast to your faith in Jesus. So that's the author's point. And then he wants to say, so Jesus is better than Moses. Moses is from God. He did great work, but Jesus is even better than Moses. Uh, Moses took the people to the promised land. Jesus will take you somewhere better. He'll take you into the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, the priests were good but, uh, in the Old Testament, but Jesus surpasses them. He's better. The sacrifices those priests made were good, but Jesus' sacrifice is better. Hold fast to your faith in Jesus. So that's the message of the book, and it's a great message for us today. And in particular, what he's talking about in this chapter is how Jesus is a better uh, high priest. And so let's again look at these verses that Bekele read for us. So Hebrews 5, verses 7 through 10, it says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So what I want us to focus on here is in verse 9. He became the source of eternal salvation. In a world where we can place our hope in our own potential, our highest hope in our own potential, and have that hope dashed because our potentials are not met, Jesus has come to offer eternal salvation, an eternal hope that cannot be taken away. It's eternal. It's everlasting. It does not fade. And this is good news. But how does Jesus offer this durable hope? What does Jesus do to make this durable, this lasting, this eternal hope possible? Uh, the author tells us, it's in verses 8 through 10. It says, although he was a son, he learned obedience. He learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So Jesus learned obedience. But then Jesus also was made perfect. He became perfect. And that allowed him to become the source of eternal salvation. Now, when you hear that, that Jesus learned obedience, and especially that he was made perfect, does that sound strange? Usually we think of Jesus being perfect, like he was born perfect, and he is always perfect. Does this assume that he was not perfect at some moment in his life? Is there some secret gospel floating around there that, that we don't know about, the church didn't know about, the author of Hebrews didn't know, or maybe knew about, where Jesus sinned and erred in his life and then made up for it to become perfect? That's not what the author is saying. This word for being made perfect is more akin to finishing something that was unfinished. Jesus perfected something that was incomplete. He completes what was incomplete. He finishes the task that was not finished. What does he say on the cross when he dies? Say it out loud, everybody. It is, it is finished. Jesus came to finish a task that had been left unfinished. Jesus came to complete something that had been left incomplete. Jesus comes to fulfill a potential that humans before him were given a task to fulfill, but they could not fulfill that potential. Jesus comes onto the scene. He makes perfect and fulfills a task that humans could not. He completes a potential that they did not. And because he does that, he's able to offer us this durable, lasting, eternal hope. So when the author brings this up, this, this point about Jesus um, learning obedience, 
but then also living into a potential and fulfilling a potential. Those are twin themes that we see throughout the Bible. And I think the author of Hebrews is trying to get us to latch onto those themes to, to help us to see that there have been figures in the past that God has tasked with filling potential, bringing God's goodness into the world, and they did not learn obedience. They practiced disobedience. And because of that, God's fullest potential for the world did not take place. And this is good news that Jesus finally came and did what earlier figures could not do. So let's take a quick walk through biblical history. And some of you are like, a quick walk? Steve's going to take us on a quick walk through biblical history. You're already worried. The game, we're never getting there. I'm going to hurry, so don't worry. So in biblical context, what the author of Hebrews here is, is really speaking loudly. Let's go to Genesis 1, where God creates Adam and Eve. God made Adam and Eve, and he made them with creative potential, creative potential. This is Genesis 1. Verses 27 and 28, it's not on the slides, so if you have your Bible, you can turn to Genesis 1 and follow along there in uh, verses 27 and 28, or you can just listen as I read. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God creates Adam and Eve in his image. And what it means to bear his image, we've talked about this many times before, but it's always worth repeating. God creates them in his image to look like him, to bear his image in the way that they fill the world, the way they multiply and fill the world. God has already made the world in Genesis 1, Genesis 1 and he's been filling it with good things. He fills the sky with sun, moon, and stars. He fills the sea with sea creatures, fish, dolphins, and whales. He fills the land with plants that can feed humans and feed the world. And so he's filling all kinds of spaces with good, good things. And then he creates Adam and Eve in his image and says, now you go do the same. In my image, bear my image, look like me in the way that you continue to fill the world with good things. So they're given a potential. Many times when we think of Genesis 1 or Eden, the Garden of Eden, where God places them, we think of it as being perfect. It was certainly good, but it wasn't perfect. It was good with potential. And God asks Adam and Eve, tasks them, you take this earth to a better place. I'm tasking you to bear my image, continue to bring good things into the world, and take this world to an even greater place of thriving and flourishing and goodness. So God creates the world with potential. It's like building a house. It's like having the bulldozer come out and do this dirt work to clear the dirt away and make a space where a foundation can be poured. And God pours this really good foundation. It's square, it's plumb, it's true, it can hold weight. And then he says to Adam and Eve, frame the house. Frame the house, finish this house, make a beautiful house on the foundation I've given you. So Adam and Eve were given this creative potential, but they disobeyed God. And when they disobeyed God, they did not fulfill their potential. Instead, they threw everything into a mess. The foundation itself starts to crumble. They didn't trust God. They didn't obey God. They had one prohibition. God gave them all this freedom. It seems like there's a lot of freedom in how they're supposed to live into their potential. There's one command to, to not do something. Don't eat from this particular tree. And they can't obey the one command. And as a result of that, they don't take the world into this great potential where there's thriving, where there's blessing. Instead, there are curses. There are a string of curses that follow in Genesis 3. Work turns into toil. Fruitfulness turns into scarcity. Childbearing becomes painful and dangerous. Intimacy between Adam and Eve turns into shame and blaming. 
and Adam and Eve's children end up being at one another's odds. One of them even kills the other one. And the world devolves into all kinds of violence. When humans don't obey God, we don't experience the full potential he has for us. Instead, the world becomes a mess. So God doesn't leave the world, abandon the world to this mess. That's God's goodness. That's God's way. He comes into the mess and cleans it up. How many of you have children? And your children clean up a mess. You're like, that's your mess. You clean that up. That's not the way God handles this. He does let us deal with our our consequences, but at the same time, he comes into this world that's a mess and he promises hope. And so he raises up the people of Israel and God gives Israel redemptive potential. God raises up Israel and gives them now redemptive potential. So this is Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Genesis 12, just a few chapters later. Uh, 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Go ahead and say it out loud. What word keeps showing up in those verses? Yeah, say it louder. Bless. This is a a promise of blessing. This is a promise to reverse the curses. When Adam and Eve sinned, it brought curses into the world. They didn't live up to the full potential God would have for the world. The world doesn't come to this place of thriving and flourishing. It's curses, but God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to turn it around. I'm going to use you to undo the curses and restore blessing. Through you, you'll not only be blessed. Through you, I will bless all the families, all the nations of the earth. Just as Adam and Eve were tasked with taking that, that goodness into the world to fill the earth, multiply and fill the earth, Now Abraham and his descendants will fill the earth with God's blessing as God works through them. This is good news, redemptive good news, deeply good news as God promises to redeem this world. But like Adam and Eve, Israel would not obey God. They wouldn't trust God. So as much as God wanted to use them for redemptive purposes, that redemptive work was often strained. Israel did not always experience God's blessing. God gave them laws, how to live righteously, how to experience goodness and righteousness and thriving and flourishing. And they would oftentimes disregard that law and it would lead them and leave others into pain and suffering. And then God even gave priests to say, look, Israel, I'm not asking you, you know, like I do demand people to be perfect, but I understand that you're going to sin. And when that happens, here's how do you go to a priest. You make a sacrifice. There's forgiveness. There's atonement for your sin. So God isn't even demanding absolute perfection in order to live among his people, to bless them and turn them into an avenue of blessing. He's saying, here's the law. Keep the law. It's good. It will lead to thriving and flourishing. And when you miss it, when you drop short on the, on the law and don't fulfill the law, here's sacrifices you can make with the priests in order to be forgiven and to make things right and to still experience God's presence. And when you're in God's presence, God will continue to protect you and provide for you and use you as blessing for other nations. So God's not asking them to be absolutely perfect. They can even worship him and ask for forgiveness. And yet Israel would still disobey God's law and they would not always seek out forgiveness from God. In fact, they would often turn to other gods. They could not stay faithful to their redemptive and merciful God. And when they couldn't keep his law and wouldn't stay faithful to him and wouldn't worship him, they continued to bring a mess into the world. The world continued to be a mess. And this is the world you and I live in, right? As the last year reminded us that the world is still a mess. And it's not just the world out there is a mess. 
in the midst of all the tension and all the stuff that we're dealing with in our world around us, my own sin has presented itself, presented itself over the last year. The world is a mess, and I contribute to that mess through my own sin and my own disobedience. And this is why Hebrews 5, verses 7 through 10 is such good news. Because what it's saying is, it's, it's wanting here, the, the reader to remember Adam and Eve could not fulfill the creative potential that God gave them because they did not learn obedience. They, they disobeyed God and brought pain and suffering into the world. Uh, the people of Israel were supposed to be redemptive in the world. And sometimes God was able to use them for redemptive purposes, but they weren't great at obeying God. They did not practice and learn obedience. They often disobeyed God and were unfaithful. And because of that, they experienced pain themselves and they brought pain into the world. The world continued to be a mess. But God finally sends his son, Jesus, into the world who learned obedience and was made perfect so that the world would experience its full potential. That there would one day be a new heavens and a new earth where humanity would live with God face to face. Where there would be joy, there would be peace everlasting in the presence of God. Jesus comes and promises a new heavens and a new earth The world will go where God needs it to go. The world will experience its fullest potential, but not because of Adam and Eve, not because of Israel, not because of you or me, but because of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ. He dies on a cross, completely obeys God the Father, and fulfills the potential that no human ever could. And because of that, he's provided a durable and a lasting hope, a durable and a lasting hope, and this is such good news. So in Hebrews 5, verses 8 through 9, it says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So first of all, how did Jesus do this? He suffered. He learned obedience through suffering. When Jesus came to fulfill the potential that no other human could, he didn't just come out and do a magic trick, ta-da, pull a rabbit out of a hat, He didn't come as some kind of mighty military leader to shake things up and and to manhandle the world. He comes in the world to die, to suffer, and atone for the sin of the world. He makes atonement for the sin of the world so that one day that world itself will be renewed and restored. And then you and I would have a place in it. Because Jesus died and rose again, his body, when it went into the tomb and then came out, is the promise that this creation itself that's groaning will one one day be raised to new life. A world that works the way that it should. And then how do you and I have a place in that? How do we have any place in that kingdom? It's because Jesus died on a cross to wash away your sin and to wash away my sin so that we have a place in that kingdom. We don't naturally deserve a place in that kingdom, but by grace, he gives us a place in that kingdom. It's through what Jesus suffered that we have a chance to have a new heavens and a new earth and a place in that new heavens and new earth. And so some of you might be asking, well, it says in verse 9, uh, being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Does that mean you have to obey God enough to like earn your way into the new heavens and, and the new earth? If you do enough good deeds, you'll be able to get in. That's not the sense of obey here, especially if you've read Hebrews. Hebrews makes it supremely clear that the only way somebody gets into that kingdom is through Jesus' once for all sacrifice. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is what makes it possible for any of us to be right with God, to enjoy the the heavens and the earth that he'll bring. And so obeying is more along the lines of hold fast to that message about Jesus. Obey is hold fast to the teachings about Jesus and the grace of God that you've been taught about. 
Hold fast to Jesus and don't abandon hope in him. So tonight, there are just a few application points that I think are really helpful for us to, to think about. First of all, some of you may need to consider whether you've made your, uh, your own potential your highest source of hope. You may need some time just to reflect and ask, where is my ultimate hope? We should have hopes in the things that we can pursue and achieve in life. It's okay to have hopes of being married, you know, having a certain kind of career, things you want to do. It's okay to have those kinds of hopes. But when those things become your ultimate hope, when your potential becomes your ultimate hope, that's when you're going to be set up for disappointment. And what happens is oftentimes when we wake up in the morning and real life hits us, we have classes to attend, we have papers to write, we have work to go through, uh, go to, we have bills to pay, real life starts hitting us and we start making plans, we start working on those things as we all have to and we should. All of a sudden our, our focus starts to shift from what Jesus has done to the world around us and the tasks we have in front of us. And then all of a sudden we start thinking about my potential, our potential, what can we get done? And we fixate on that, and sometimes we forget what Jesus has done. And so if you're in a season where you've been focusing on your own potential, I encourage you, look up. Look up to Jesus and what he has accomplished and find your hope there. When we fixate on our own potential and what we can accomplish, and we find it hard to achieve that potential, that's when we get angry. That's when we get frustrated. That's when we get anxious. That's when we get fearful. But when we remember what Jesus has done for us, that's when we have peace. That's when we have joy. That's when we have hope. So look to Jesus. Remember, he's your highest source of hope. Secondly, some of you might say, from an, a worldly standpoint, the culture around us, the way it defines people who have potential, I don't seem like a good candidate for much potential. I feel like I have very little or no potential. And I just want to tell you, that's not the way that God looks at the world. Uh, that's not the way that God looks at the world, amen? <laughs> uh, there are many things in my life where I feel like I, I have low capacity, and if... Uh, uh, people were disqualified because of their lack of potential, many of us would be disqualified. But the good news is God, God does not disqualify you from his kingdom based upon uh, having little potential. God looked at David, who's the youngest in his family, and says, this is the guy that's going to be king. How many times in the Old Testament does God choose the unlikely? If you feel like you have very little potential, that might be how the world looks at you. That's not how God looks at you. God sees in you an opportunity to work good things and great things and to let his power be manifest in you, sometimes even in our weakness. You are not disqualified from God's kingdom and you're certainly not disqualified from him working through you. And that's good news. Thirdly, some of you might say, I've wasted my potential on terrible things. I've spent my potential chasing things in life uh, that I thought would satisfy me, but they did not satisfy me. In fact, they brought pain and hurt into my life. I didn't obey God. I pursued these paths for self-gratification or for joy and happiness in these other things or a sense of fulfillment. And th I knew they were ungodly things and I pursued them. And actually, uh, those were years of potential and I've wasted it. And now I come to God with wasted potential and a trail of pain behind me, a trail of baggage behind me. What does this sermon have for me? What, where does Jesus... Uh, you know, where does he fit me into the kingdom? Well, by grace, he washes you of your sin. He washes me of my wasted potential. And then he is also able to bring beauty out of ashes. He can bring beauty out of the ashes we bring him. There are times as a, as a parent, as a daddy to my son over here, uh, I'll lose my patience with him. That's a moment ripe for potential. 
And when I lose my patience with my son, I've taken away the good potential in that moment. When I'm impatient with him, I say harsh words with him, I steal away the goodness of that moment. It's a potentially good moment, and I steal it away through my, my disobedience, my impatience, my sinfulness. And there are times when I go to God, and I'm like, God, what are you going to do with this? I'm 42. I've been trying to grow in patience, and I'm still struggling with it. I feel like I look back on my life, and there's a string of impatience. What are you going to do with it? And in those moments when I've been able to confess to Sam, you know what? I was impatient with you. That's wrong. And I confess to God. God, that was wrong. Please forgive me. Those are rich moments to have a conversation about Jesus with my son. And he starts asking questions about Jesus. And he'll say, you know, I did something last week. Can we talk about that? What do I do with that? You do the exact same thing I just did. And it opens up a sweet moment. God takes that moment where I've spoiled potential and wasted a moment. And yet God takes those ashes and he's able to bring something beautiful out of it. Not so I feel better about myself, but so he blesses my son. God can take the ashes of your life and bring good out of it. That's how deeply redemptive our, our father and Jesus is. And that's good news. And then finally, God wants to take you to a place where he's bringing goodness through you. He, wants to, he has potential for you to accomplish even now. So um, there's a sense in which we should take our ultimate joy and hope in the new heavens, the new earth, the future that God has for us, this eternal salvation that is made possible only through Jesus. But there's also a sense while we're waiting for that, he is making you something new right now. And he has potential for you to fulfill right now as you await your full joy, joining him in heaven. So this is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 17. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 17. Just listen to these words really carefully. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. God has an eternal salvation for you. But in the meantime, he is making you a new creation. He's making you a new creation. Jesus died for all, that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You are a new creation. God has new work that he wants you to do in this world. He wants you to experience his new creation work in your life, to heal the wounds of your past, to bring you to a place of spiritual thriving and growing, joy with him. But then he also wants to work through you that his kingdom will come into a world full of sin and pain and suffering and hurt. He has good work he wants to work in you and through you. And so as we close, I want to encourage you to do two things. Every day this week, do two things. First of all, take time each day to take joy in the eternal hope that Jesus gives you by grace. Take time each day to take joy in that eternal hope that Jesus gives you by grace. But secondly, read 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 through 17. Write this down so you can remember it. If you want to take a picture, you can take a picture of the screen. But write down 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 17, and read through it. Meditate on it, and ask God prayerfully afterwards, God, what work do you want to work in me? 
What new creation work do you want to work in me this week? What do I need to do to follow after you to experience that new creation? What things do I need to set aside and put off in my life? What holy and righteous things do I need to put on this week to experience that good in my life, but to also be your, uh, your handiwork in the world to extend your kingdom into the world that others might see you and glorify your Father, Father in heaven? So I encourage you to do those two things this week. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you, Lord God, in a world of dashed hopes, of hopes that can continually just waver and falter, that Jesus has come to fulfill a potential that no human ever could, and he gives us a deep hope. And we thank you for Jesus tonight. Thank you for treating us, Lord, in such gracious ways that you've not treated us as our sins deserve, but it have instead provided a chance for us to enjoy eternity with you. I pray that you would show us, Lord God, who we are, who you are making us by grace. And Lord, I pray as we take joy in who you are making us by grace, that you would also show us, Lord, what you would have us to do for your glory. May you be glorified in us. We ask it all in Jesus' name and give you thanks for this time. Amen.